Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. And you were dead. Dead. In your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, I was dead. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, with which he loved us, 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 me, me, you, 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 even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive. 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 Together with Christ. By grace. You have been saved. I have gone from death to life. I am alive. 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 G. Campbell Morgan was a great pastor, writer, and theologian, and G. Campbell Morgan once made this statement. He said that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central fact of Christianity. And in making that statement, what he's really saying is that everything we believe as Christians, everything that we cling to, is rooted in the reality that Jesus Christ is alive. So what I want to do as we open the message tonight is I want to read for you an eyewitness account of the resurrection of Jesus. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it to the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 16, and I'm going to read the the account there, and we're going to have it on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you tonight. But before I read it, I want to set the stage for this passage of Scripture. Ray Stedman was a pastor of Peninsula Bible Church in Northern California for many years before he went home to be with the Lord. And Ray Stedman wrote these words about the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. I want you to look at it on the screen. Here's what he said. Mark 16 begins with the darkest day in human history. That black Saturday when Jesus lay in the grave. That Saturday before the resurrection must have been the darkest day the disciples had ever experienced. A dreary, interminable day of shattered hopes, broken dreams, desolated spirits, and wounded, frightened hearts. You say, why did they feel this way? Let me tell you why. The disciples, we're about to read about a few of them, most of them, for three and a half years of their life, had given up everything to follow Jesus. Many of them had left home 
They'd given up job. They'd given up the security of family and friends. And for three and a half years, they went everywhere Jesus went. They walked with him. They lived with him. They, they watched every miracle that Jesus ever performed. They, they saw them with their own eyes. They heard every word that came out of Jesus' mouth. They, they literally hung on every word that he taught. They wrapped their hearts around it. They'd given everything to follow him. For three and a half years, faithfully, they'd walked with him. And then in one weekend, they watched as all of it in their minds was beginning to come unglued. Jesus had told them about his death and burial and resurrection, but they still not really understood it. They were expecting Jesus to usher in the kingdom of God, and they were expecting a radical change of life in their day. And in one week... They saw this Jesus who they'd given everything to follow. They saw this Jesus that they'd hung on every word that he taught. They saw him arrested. They saw him dragged through a court system where they threw accusations at him that were not valid. And yet they they found him guilty of things that he hadn't even done. So that they ordered him to be beaten and they drug him out into the public square. And the Bible tells us that they beat Jesus so severely that he was not even recognizable to those who knew him. After being beaten like that, they mocked him, they spit on him, they made fun of him. Then they laid a cross on his back and they asked him to drag that cross through the streets of Jerusalem. And as they drug that cross through the streets of Jerusalem, the venom and the hatred of the crowd that lines the streets of Jerusalem cried out, Crucify him. And then they watched as Jesus was nailed to a cross. And the one that they'd given up everything to follow, the one that they believed was bringing in the kingdom of God, on that Friday afternoon, he died. The disciples had more questions than they had answers. Their world had been rocked. The Sabbath in Jewish culture begins on Friday evening at sunset and it runs through sunset on Saturday evening. They got Jesus and the two criminals off the crosses so that they could kind of clean things up before the Sabbath started. And so Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, two believers, prominence came and they took Jesus' body down and they laid Jesus in a borrowed tomb. They rolled a big stone in front of that tomb and the disciples thought, it's over. We know that because most of them didn't even show up at this point in the story. Most of the disciples were so afraid they were going to be next to be crucified that they didn't even come to the crucifixion. Only Mary and a couple of ladies and John the disciples, only ones there, all the rest of them had gone into hiding. There was a few ladies who, <clears throat> after sitting through what had to be the longest Sabbath day of their lives, when the Sabbath ended, these few ladies made their way to the market and they bought some spices. They bought those spices because they hoped on Sunday morning 
sunrise to go and see Jesus' body just one last time. And that's where we pick up the story in Mark 16. I want to read it for you. Mark 16, beginning in verse number 1. Here's what it says. When the Sabbath was over, it's that Saturday evening, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. The sun had just barely come up and they're making their way. And I don't think it's because they were just eager. I think they hadn't slept all night. They were so distraught and so shaken. They didn't sleep all night long. And the sun comes up and they make their way down to the tomb. And it says in verse 3, they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? They didn't even have the plan all figured out yet. Verse 4, looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. Although it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe. And they were amazed. That's probably one of the greatest understatements in all of the Bible, right? They were amazed. I guess so. Verse 6, and he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they Laid him. Can you imagine the emotion with which they ran out of that tomb? They came there thinking all hope was lost. And they get there to find out Jesus is alive. I grew up in a Christian family. My mom and dad are the first Christians in our family. I don't come from a long line of Christians. My mom and dad are the first followers of Jesus in my family lineage. And my mom and dad became believers and they got married and my dad surrendered to preach the gospel. So I grew up in a pastor's home. Now here's what that means. The story that I've just read for you, I had heard it hundreds of times. I, I, by the time I got to college, I could quote the story. I could tell you the story. I could tell you all the details about the story. I knew. And listen, I realize tonight as I read that for you and as I recount for you the story of the resurrection of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, that for many of you, you're like me. You know the story. You've heard the story. But I got to be honest with you. Until I was a freshman in college, even though I heard the story, knew the story, could quote the story and tell the story, I didn't get the story. I didn't understand what an event from history over 2,000 years ago could possibly have to do with my life today. Until, as a freshman in college at the University of North Alabama, I personally met the risen Lord Jesus Christ and He changed my life. And let me tell you something. I now understand some things about that story that I didn't used to understand. And what I want to do in two statements is kind of share with you the things that I now understand to be true about Easter. Number one, he died 
for me. I want you to say that out loud. He died for me. Say that again, and this time I want you to say it like you mean it, all right? One, two, three. He died for me. Theologically, you could call that you in Christ. And I'm going to unpack what that means here in just a minute. But, but he died for me. When the Bible says that he had been crucified, it speaks to the reality that Christ's death was for me. You say, how in the world was his death for me? Well, let me try to unpack it by talking to you about death for just a minute, all right? The first thing I want you to understand about death is that death is a reality in life. Didn't expect a whole lot of amens there, but it's true, right? Death is a reality in life. If you know that, say amen. That's a reality in life. Now, none of us want to talk about it. We don't want to think much about it. But the reality is we are all going to die. Death is a reality of life in three ways. First of all, death is a reality in life physically. Every one of us in this building at some point is going to die. As a matter of fact, there is an organization that was established by the United States Congress in 1953. And that organization that was founded by the U.S. Congress in 1953 is called the National Safety Council. And this council is dedicated to the promotion and protection of life and health. This council every year releases a study. And because we're in Las Vegas, I'm captivated by this study. Here's the study they release. It just fits us. Here's the study. What are the odds of dying? Now... We in Vegas, we like the odds, right? We like to play the odds, look at the odds, know the odds. We see a game coming up. What are the odds? You know, well, there's actually an organization that's a nonprofit entity founded by the U.S. Congress, 1953, and every year they release a report called What are the Odds of Dying? And in this report, there's all kinds of, of fascinating information. They tell us, for example, the most likely cause of death in the United States of America is heart disease. Now, that probably doesn't surprise anybody. We all know someone or have been related to someone or we've been a friend of someone who's died of heart disease. They tell us one out of every seven people, the odds are if you die, one out of seven is going to be heart disease. Now, maybe you hadn't spent much time thinking about all the ways you can die, but in this report... They go through all the different ways you can die, and they give you the odds of all the different ways. Now, if you're fascinated by this, you can go look this up. I'm not making it up. It's actually on the Internet. You can go Google it. You can find it yourself. For example, they tell us that one out of 136,000 people every year in America will die from being struck by lightning. Now, you got to figure in Las Vegas the odds are better for us, right? Because we don't have lightning very often. But one out of 136,000. Anybody in the room afraid of snakes? Anybody in the room afraid of getting bit by a snake and dying? I have good news for you. Based on the National Safety Council, you are nine times more likely to be struck by lightning than you are to be killed by being bit by a venomous snake. But, but I want to show you a quote. This is a literal quote from the report. I want you to see this on the screen. The odds of dying from all possible causes are one out of one. I read that and I said, are you kidding me? We have an organization that is dedicated to figuring that out? They, they, they say that their mission is to prevent injuries and death. Well, if that's the stat they're coming up with, they might ought to change their mission statement, right? Because my dic dictionary says prevent means to stop something from happening. And if one out of one are dying, then they might ought to change their mission statement to postponing, right? Not preventing. 
Why am I talking about this? Here's what I want you to hear me say. We're all going to die. And that's not a surprise to us because the Bible told us the same thing in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It says, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men once to die, and after this comes the judgment. We will all one day die. Now, as much as that's not a shocker to anybody in the room, the second reality about death may be a little bit of a shock. Maybe you didn't know what I'm about to tell you. As sure as physical death is a reality in life, spiritual death is a reality in life. You say, what's spiritual death? It's meaning that we are dead to God Spiritually, we understand spiritual death by going all the way back to the book of Genesis. If you got your Bible open, turn back to Genesis chapter 2. I want to read you about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are the first man and woman God ever created. God created everything we can see, taste, touch, feel, and smell. And when God did that, He created Adam and Eve and He placed them in, a, in something called the Garden of Eden. And God, with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, created them to live their lives in fellowship with Him. They knew God. They loved God. They lived in fellowship with God. They enjoyed a relationship with God. As a matter of fact, the very reason God made human beings, the very reason you and I are walking on planet Earth, is to live our lives in a fellowship relationship with God. Meaning the only real significance and value and joy we can experience in life is in the context of a relationship with God. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden. And listen to what he said to him in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. Look at it on the screen. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day you eat from it you will surely say it out loud. Pretty simple, right? Placed him in the garden, gave him dominion, enjoyed a relationship with God. He said, there's one rule. Don't eat of that tree. If you eat of that tree, you're going to what? Die. Let's read on. Chapter 3, verse 6. Look what it says. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and she what? Ate. Now, before you get too down on Eve, read the rest of it. And she gave also to her husband, said out loud, with her, and he ate. Often we give Eve a bad rap, but here's what really happened. Adam's standing right there with her, and he just said, I'm going to see how this turns out. (laughs) He let her be a guinea pig, and then when she ate it and didn't fall over, he said, I'm going to give this a shot too, and so he ate it. Now, God said, if you eat the tree, you're going to what? Say it out loud. Die. Adam and Eve ate the tree. So verse 7 says, they died. Well, if it does... This is a short book, right? That's Adam and Eve. That's it. That's all of us. Wait a minute. I thought you said if they ate, they were going to die. Oh, they did die, but look at it. Chapter 3, verse 7. Look what it says. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I don't know how long Adam and Eve had been in the garden, but as long as they'd been in the garden, they'd enjoyed perfect fellowship with God. And now all of a sudden, God comes into the garden to meet with them, and they hide. Why? Let me tell you why. Because when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they died spiritually. Here's what that means. They lost the ability to have a relationship 
with God. Now that's a big deal because that's why they were made. The meaning and significance of life is found in a relationship with God. Meaning and significance is not found in money. It's not found in prosperity. It's not found in popularity. It's not found in power. Meaning and significance is found in a relationship with God. And when Adam and Eve sinned against God, they died spiritually. Ultimately, they would die physically. They're not still around. Death entered the picture when they sinned against God. But immediately they died. They lost the ability to relate to God. You say, Pastor, again, I I hear you. That's awesome. That's a great story. But that's even older than the story of Jesus. What in the world does that possibly have to do with me? I'm so glad you asked. Look on the screen, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Paul writes and he says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Here's what the Bible teaches us. Since Adam and Eve, every person born on planet earth, if you didn't put it together, that's all of us. Since Adam and Eve, every person born on planet earth, has inherited from Adam spiritual death. We come into this world dead to a relationship with God and very much alive to sin. You say, I I don't know if I buy that. Well, he gives us the proof. He said, here's the evidence. All sin. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever told a lie? Let me see your hand. Just hold it up. You've told a lie. Just hold it up. Be proud of it. You're in church. It's all right. Just hold it up for a second. Now, if you don't have your hand up right now, you can put it up now, right? Because you just lied. Put your hands down. Let me ask you a question. Who taught you how to lie? Do you remember when you were a little kid? Did they, did they put you in lying 101? No, you don't have to teach kids how to lie. You've got to teach them to what? Tell the truth, right? You don't have to teach kids to be selfish. You've got to teach them to share. You don't have to teach little boys and girls how to pull hair and, and, and kick somebody and bite their friend. You've got to teach them not to do those things, right? All that stuff just comes what? Did you hear what you just said? The word naturally, the root of that word is the word nature. Here's what you just said. All that stuff is just them being who they are. This idea that we come into the world a blank slate is not true. We come into this world broken, dead to God. We inherited from Adam a sin nature that is dead to God. We're dead to a relationship with God. The very reason you and I were made is to know God. And we come into this world dead to that, but very much alive to sin. Let me tell you a third reality of death. Not only are we all dead spiritually and ultimately we'll all die physically, but because of that it leads to a third reality of death. I want to put a little equation up on the screen that I want you to see that hopefully will help you get this. Spiritual death plus physical death equals eternal death. What are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. We come into this world dead to God and alive to sin. We live lifestyles of sin that separate us from a relationship with God. God is holy. God will not. God cannot be in fellowship with sin. If you and I, being spiritually dead, die physically, 
Here's what the Bible says. We spend an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. You know what a wage is, right? A wage is something that you earn. If you work 40 hours this week and you make $10 an hour, you've earned $400. You could even say it this way. It belongs to you. You deserve it. You've earned it. Here's what the Bible says. Because of our spiritual death, we live a lifestyle of sin that alienates and separates us from God. Because of our sin, we've earned something. We deserve it. It belongs to us. Here's what we've earned. Eternity separated from God. Here's what that means. If all of us got what we deserve, Because of our sin against God, we would spend eternity separated from God. And I know what some of you are thinking. Pastor, it's it's, it's the 21st century. Surely you're not telling me you believe that people who die without a relationship with God spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Listen, to be honest with you, it's not about what I believe. It's about what does this book say. You see, the same Bible that says God is love. The same Bible that says God is love says that those who die separated from God in this life spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And the reality is I don't get to pick and choose what parts of the Bible I like. You see, if I pick and choose what I think is true, it's not the Bible I believe, it's me. Here's the good news. The life-changing truth about Easter that I understood in September of 1989 when I met Jesus personally is that when He died, He died for me. He died in my place. He took my sin on Himself and Jesus died. When it says in Mark 16 that He was crucified. It's in the perfect tense. The perfect tense in the Greek language is a tense that describes something that's already happened in the past, but it has ongoing continuous effect today. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for me and he died for you. Let me show it to you in the Bible. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Look what it says. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And listen to me, he died completely. Here's what I mean by that. Spiritual death. Jesus took the blow of spiritual death for us. On the cross, God the Father poured out the sin of humanity. All of my disobedience and all of yours, God poured out the sin of the world on Jesus. And when he did, the Bible tells us that God the Father turned his back on his son. He broke fellowship with his son. Why? Because God is so holy that God will not be in the presence of sin even when that sin is found on his own son and it wasn't even his own sin. God the Father turned his back on God the Son. Jesus experienced spiritual death. But he didn't just experience spiritual death. Jesus experienced physical death. On the cross, Jesus literally died. They buried him. Life left his body. But he didn't just experience spiritual death and physical death. Jesus experienced eternal death. You say, how did he do that? It was just three days. How did he experience eternal death? Let me tell you how. He was God. 
He was eternal himself. That's why only Jesus was qualified. You see, Jesus didn't die for me so I wouldn't have to. Jesus died for me because I couldn't. I owed a debt I could not pay. Jesus paid a debt he did not pay. Oh, on the cross, he died spiritually. He died physically. He died eternally. So that 1 Peter says it this way in chapter 3, verse 18. Christ also died for sins once for all. The just for the unjust. So that he might bring us to God. Here is the glorious good news of Easter. Through his death, I can be forgiven of my sins and I can be reconciled back to a relationship with God. That which I lost in Adam, I get back in Christ. Forgiveness, reconciliation, being brought back into a fellowship, relationship with God. That's why Jesus said this in John 11. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, listen to this, will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Wait a minute, Pastor. Are you saying that if I believe in Jesus, I'll never die physically? No, that's not what I'm saying. Unless he comes again first, and then we won't have to. Amen? But here's what I am saying to you. Because of Jesus' death, I no longer fear death. You see, death now is not an end. Death is simply a new beginning. Because of Jesus' death, now at death, I don't enter into an eternity separated from God. Now because of Jesus' death, I enjoy the very presence of God. And death now is simply an entrance to the presence of God Himself. Because of Jesus' death, I no longer fear death. Because I can be forgiven of my sin and given by grace a relationship with God. And listen, as glorious as that news is that we can be forgiven because Jesus paid our sin penalty for us. He died. Listen, that is wonderful good news, but I want you to hear me very carefully. That is only half of the gospel. For a lot of people, they think that that's the whole gospel. But Jesus didn't just die. Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. If all he did was die, we still have no hope, but Jesus Christ is alive. Listen, every other religious system on earth draws attention to the graves of its leaders as places of worship. Only Christianity points to a tomb that is empty. It is vacant. Nobody is there because Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he rose again. Let me tell you why that's significant. Here's the second part. He died for me. Here's the second truth that changed my understanding of Easter. He now lives through me. Theologically, you can call that Christ in you. You see, his death is you in Christ. His life is Christ in you. There are some of you who are hearing me 
talk about this tonight and you have the idea, like many people, that the good news of God's forgiveness is available in Christ and they make the assumption that in order to get in on that forgiveness, I must now be able to live the Christian life. Some of you are hearing me, and what you're hearing is, yes, because of Jesus, I can be forgiven. Yes, because of Jesus, I can be given a relationship with God. And here's how you hear that. Because of Jesus' death, all my sin in the past is taken care of, and my eternity in heaven is secure. But you don't think it has anything to do with now. Here's what this says. Jesus didn't die to forgive us and save us so that we could now live for him. That's not the gospel. Let me tell you the gospel. Jesus died to forgive us and save us. And he rose again so that now he could live through us. Some people say, Pastor, I can't, I can't, I can't become a Christian. I, I can't live the Christian life. Can I give you some good news? I can't either. And listen to me. That was never the deal. He never said, I've died so that you can be saved. Now live. No, Jesus died and he was buried, but he rose again so that he could forgive us and now by his spirit come to dwell within us and live his life through us. Jesus died to forgive me. Jesus lives so that I can be free in him. That is the gospel. You in Christ forgiven Christ in you free. My past and my eternity are secure and my present is empowered because of the life of Christ in me. Let me read you the way Ivor Powell wrote it. Look at what he said. Look on the screen. I love this. Christ is not just a figure in history. One who lived and moved among men. He is someone to be met, to be loved, and to be enjoyed. We looked and found him in the pages of the Bible. Someday we shall see him returning in the clouds of heaven. But the greatest and best of all, we find him in the events of daily life. There, in a most remarkable fashion, we hear his voice, feel the pressure of his hand, and know his presence. He left the tomb so that by the ministry of his spirit, he could reside with us Forever. You see, the glorious good news of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins so that we could be forgiven and be reconciled to God. And Christ rose again from the dead so that he could come and live in us and through us, bringing glory and honor to God. You see, the reality is today, I can only be the husband I'm supposed to be today because of Christ in me. I can only be the friend and co-worker today that I'm supposed to be because of Christ in me. Christianity is not you living for Jesus. Christianity is Jesus living his life through you. And he does that because he rose again. He lives. He lives. Paul wrote it this way, and I'll close with this scripture. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. There's our statement. He died for me. I have been crucified with Christ. His death 
is now my death. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He lives through me. How does that happen? The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, till I was a freshman in college, I knew the story. I knew that Jesus died, buried, rose again. What I didn't understand, he died for me so that he could live through me. And when I met him, everything changed. You in Christ, Christ in you. That is the message of Easter. Now maybe you ask, Pastor, how do I get in on that? Did you catch it earlier when I read it? John 11, look at it on the screen. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who, say the next word out loud, believes in me will live even if he dies. You see, the way to get in on this is by believing in Jesus. You say, Pastor, that, that sounds too good to be true. Listen, that's why they call it the good news. It's the grace of God. I don't deserve it. I cannot earn it. I can never measure up to it. But the grace of God in Jesus has made it possible for me to be forgiven, to be reconciled with God, and to be empowered by the life of Jesus himself to honor God with my life. That is amazing grace. And you get in on that by faith. The Bible says, by grace through faith, that not of yourselves. So here's my question for you tonight before we let you go. Have you ever believed in Jesus? To believe in Jesus doesn't mean simply to acknowledge some facts about him in your head. To believe in Jesus is to come to that place in your life where you surrender the control of your life to Jesus Christ. The word believe means to entrust oneself. It could be said that I'm resting my whole weight on Him. My past, my present, and my future. Jesus, I'm resting it all on You. I'm believing in You. Have you ever believed in Jesus?